Today's sponsor is Audible, with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash bballbreakdown. Will the dual role of coach and GM become extinct? How will D'Antoni and Harden affect Chris Paul's mindset? Are you as excited as we are for a Eurobasket? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. A rare Tuesday podcast, but I'm always, as always, joined by Dave Dufour, Dave Dufour NBA. Um, <laughs> and Dave, we are we are in the dog days of summer, I would think it's safe to say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I just told you, I, I just spent the last two hours watching Gordon Ramsay videos, and I'm getting fired up uh, to buy a nice paella pan. So, yes. Ooh. Uh, I, I absolutely, and I would love to make paella. I like jambalaya. Anything that ends with a vowel, it pretty much is, is, is I'm in, I'm in. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I finished, uh, uh your, uh, friends from college, uh, and I'm now starting Ozark or Ozarks, whatever, which one you want to call it. Do you and, watch Game of Thrones? Uh, you know, I think I'm going to have to just dive in. I, 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 it seems too hard to start now. Uh, no, you can start now and catch up. It's, it's totally bingeable and this season's almost over. Um, there's only three episodes left, but see, I'm a, I'm a book reader. And so this, this past week's episode was, you know, kind of had some really huge things happen that, you know, book readers have been waiting like 20 years for So. Right, but it's not because this is not in the book. This part, right? This is all—they're just freelancing at this point. Exactly, it hasn't been written yet. Now, I mean, I could sit and talk about the the drop off in quality once they surpass the books, but at the same time, they have an end in sight and they've got to get there. So, you know, they have to cut. I'm assuming they had to cut a lot of stuff, but okay, yeah, a lot of good TV though. So, you know, I mean. Ah, good. I hope so. I'm, I'm in a I'm in a big workout kick, and uh, you know I'm looking. I need more I need more shows. But you're right. Uh, Game of Thrones would cover me for the rest of the till the uh, season starts. Um, so Probably. I should do that. But yeah. well, Eurobasket's coming up though. Oh, that's true. Good. I'm going to do some breakdowns of that for sure. So <laughs> well, let's let's talk about some basketball because there was some news that came up last Friday that was of, of interest, and that is that Doc Rivers. Uh, it, it's it, you can't call it anything but a demotion, right? He is now only the coach of the Clippers. He's no longer the GM, and uh, right. I mean, there's no other way to spin this, right? It's a demotion. Yeah, I mean, this is, and he's not the first one that we've seen this happen to this this off season. You know, mm-hmm. um, this is kind of the way I think that that the league is going to go. They're going to go away from giving one guy all that power, and it's not even the power; it's the responsibility. It's too much work for one guy. And Doc was, in many ways, Doc the GM was Doc the coach's worst enemy. You know, he, he never never found that wing guy, uh, the 3-and-D wing, never found him, never found a bench, and, and, you know, all of these other issues that the Clippers have had for for the entire tenure, you know, that Doc has been been doing this. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, the, the most important part of this to me is that Doc didn't lose any money, right? Right. So he's getting paid the same amount. So That is great. amazing. It's amazing yeah. that Balmer. I mean, I, I, I guess what are you going to say? Hey, uh, uh, we got to take some money out of your contract that you already signed. So, like, and maybe it was already built in. Like, no matter what happens, I get that money, which would have been really smart by Doc. But you know, let's face it; it's not even about power. I don't think it's about power. I think I think it was a, well. I think it was about a coach not wanting to get fired, 
And the, and what do you think? Okay, well, if I am the GM and the coach, and I can't get fired, which I think we're all now starting to realize that's also a, a, a folly. It doesn't it doesn't really preclude you from getting fired anyway. And now you got a situation where you, you have Budenholzer and now um, Doc Rivers, who you know, yeah, they they get in that job, they can't do both, and it's been a nightmare, and no one's really been able to do it. I mean, Stan Van Gundy is the last guy, right? And he's he has certainly not done a great job. No, he's not been good, and you know, a lot of people have brought up Pop. But that that's underselling R.C. Buford's job. Right. You know, Pop is obviously involved in front office stuff, but not in he's not making all of the decisions like, you know, it, from what I understand, uh, Lawrence Frank was doing quite a bit of Doc's front office job during the season. But the you know, the kind of direction of the franchise was really coming from Doc. And, and I think it, with the Spurs, it's more of like a brain trust. And I think that that works a little bit better. And I'm sure uh, Doc is still going to be involved in personnel decisions. He's got two years left on his contract. They're talking extension, which makes a lot of sense because the last thing you want to do if you're Doc Rivers or the Clippers is go into next season you know, with, with, with no extension or no plan in place. And you've kind of got this lame duck year uh, uh, as a coach. Um, I, would, I would guess if they don't come to an agreement on an extension by the end of 2017 2018 that doc is out the door next summer that'd be my guess i mean it's interesting because wherever he's gone he's kind of been on the verge of really being unsuccessful uh, or at like mediocre at best and you know he didn't make it after a couple of years in orlando even though i guess they they, people want to say he overachieved with one of those teams that was pretty bad and they actually won somewhere close to 500 but he didn't make it there I think he was about to get fired in Boston until they assembled one of the greatest teams of all time for him to coach, uh, and probably one of the greatest um, coaching staffs as well. Um, and so that really helped him. And here we are here. Now, it's kind of unfair because of the injury stuff that's happened in the past that's really derailed a lot of this stuff. But And he does have – so he has a title under his belt, and he does have a seven-game, a game seven uh, win over Pop. Um, which you can't, you know, ignore for however that happened. It just happened. So, you know, there is some stuff there. But I think, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would have a, a huge amount of faith in Doc, um, you know, be, uh, beyond letting him see what happens this year with a brand new roster. Well, I, and also think about the money. I mean, you know, he's making $10 million a year now to just coach. Um, that's a lot of money. And I know Steve Ballmer has the cash mm-hmm. and he may not, and it may not concern him to pay that for your coach. And, and as, as coaches ourselves, right? Like I highly, I'm all for it. Let's pay coaches more. You know, I think that <laughs> that'd be great. Um, but that's a lot of money to pay a coach. Who's not really getting that you're not getting any boost from. I think that what they've done the last five years or has it been, has he been there five years? four years, five years that he's been in, in L.A., mm-hmm. I think you could have gotten similar results from Vinny Del Negro. Ooh. I mean, I we mean, saw that. I think so. I mean, I don't know. I'm really down on Vinny Del Negro, and I feel like, you know, they were smart to get rid of him. Um, but, the, you, you know, you have a point there because you have a nucleus there that's so good that you're going to find success no matter what. Um, however, let's talk a little bit about Doc the coach because, you know, now that they put away the GM – Doc, you know, what, what do we have? I mean, we do have some clever offense. We do have, um, you know, trying to make the best of a, of a difficult situation in theory with, you know, Blake Griffin causing spacing issues. But um, we also have a culture of complaining to the refs. 
And I think we kind of forget about it as we get deeper into the off season, and you kind of like this goes away, it's not there. And then as soon as the preseason starts up again, man, it's like, and this from the TV point of view, you know, it's it's worse in in person. Every call and every player, it's just a nonstop, and it's a real problem. Well, how much? Are, so, I mean, Chris Paul obviously is, you know, is a a, a huge part of that. I mean, yeah. you know, he he's been a referee complainer his his entire career and as a fellow referee complainer as a coach um i'm more of a chatter i'm not a complainer i'm a chatter i'm i'm telling you if you do if you make a good call i'm telling you if you make a bad call i'm telling you so um you know you're hearing you're hearing both sides from me but uh you know i wonder how much of that was kind of overblown because you know chris paul was on the court a lot and we saw chris paul you know arguing calls quite a bit and i know that doc definitely um you know, expresses distaste, but so does pop and so do other guys. And, and I think that, you know, that the Chris Paul factor may, may have kind of skewed our, our view on that. And we won't know until the season starts because yeah. remember they're starting this season minus Blake Griffin. So they're, they're going to be, I, I think they're going to be bad. I think they're going to miss the playoffs. Really? I, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm so, they're the most intriguing team to me because I really can't figure out what they did. They, they did a very, they got a good return for Chris Paul, as good as you're going to get. Absolutely. And, you know, and again, like Gallinari, like I, I live in this world where I just assume people are healthy. Uh, although we do know that Blake won't be healthy for a little while in the beginning. But like Gallinari, I'm assuming he's going to be healthy. He'll have a good year. He could play, you know, small ball four to start the season alongside uh, DeAndre Jordan. They could be really fun and really difficult uh, for other teams. But what isn't difficult is choosing Audible for all your book listening needs. I just got George Carl's tell-all on coaching in the NBA titled Furious George, and I cannot wait to fire it up on my headphones. And if you go to audible.com slash breakdown, you too can get a 30-day trial membership where they have an unmatched selection of audio programs. It's as easy as clicking on my link, downloading a free book, and letting your brain do the rest. I love listening to books in my car. I no longer mind running out to the supermarket or making that third trip to the mall to pick up my kid, since I know I can fire up another great basketball book and fill the time learning something about the game. Their app is also a must-have, where they have channels to discover more books you'll like, easy ways to share books with friends, speed control of the narration, and an easy way to switch back and forth between listening and reading the book without ever losing your place. So visit audible.com slash breakdown today and start listening. Uh, but let me go back to the, to the complaining because I, you, you do see Doc, you see Steve Kerr, and these guys will do, they will, you know, complain. But, it, but you, have to, you have to draw a distinction. It is completely different with Doc. It is constant, and it's also just the uh, – it's almost like he must annoy the refs more than anything else. It's, it's got to be this annoying because it's overfraught with emotion, and that just plays right into Chris Paul's issues, which, by the way, did you happen to see the little clip – uh, of him and Harden on the court together at Drew League? I did see that. I did now, see that. We should it, talk though. about that. It's cut off. So just to give you an idea, if you haven't seen this uh, for the listeners, um, something happens that I think was good on the offensive end for Harden and Chris Paul's team. Somebody scored something. But on the way back, and they're waiting for the other team to come down and call a timeout, Chris Paul starts to kind of yell at James Harden, and he's motioning as if he should have done something else, like shoot a layup or instead of throwing a lob or something. And it looks like it's heated, and then all of a sudden the other team calls timeout, and Greg, uh, James Harden just gives him a big hug as they walk off. But they cut it right when it looks like to me that Chris Paul is like almost about to push him away, and I, I can't get any more information about it. What do you think? Um, I think that James Harden uh, may be good for Chris Paul from a from a 
attitude on the court standpoint. Because, okay. you know, James Harden, I, obviously, he his, his fatigue issues and the body language related to that, I, I think that's a real issue for him. Like, I don't – he's just not one of those guys that's ever going to be like a, a – be able to play – 48 minutes a night and never look tired. That's just not him. I mean, but he's still playing 40 minutes a night. He's going to look exhausted, but I think a lot of his body language comes from just being so physically spent, which is why Chris Paul is a great addition for him. And I think for Chris Paul, James Harden may actually kind of get him to relax a little bit. Yeah. And to enjoy the moment a little bit more, you know, I mean, <laughs> like James Harden looks like he's having fun out there. And I think that that's important that, that, you know, playing with joy, I think is important. I think Chris Paul, he has moments, but it, it, he doesn't seem like a fun guy to play with. Right. James Harden does. Like, I feel like I would love to play with James Harden and I don't know if I would want to play with Chris Paul. I mean, yes, he's highly skilled and he's a great player and all this stuff, but I think the attitude stuff would, would start to wear on you after a while. I, there's no question it has. It's it's worn on his teammates everywhere he's gone, and um, and you're right. I, and that that would be a great thing to rub off on him is that Yolo just put it away. And that is one thing that Chris Paul does not do. He does not put away uh, these things that have already happened in the past, and it builds, and then it'll explode sometimes in in, in quite unfortunate fashion for his team. And so uh, that is fascinating. You're right. That would be something interesting to see how that's going to play out. Because we, what you saw, yeah, from Harden was like, just come here and get, almost like wanting to give him a noogie or something. Like, you know, and it's like, let's, we're, we're winning. We, we just scored something like that. It's, it's not perfect. Basketball is not perfect, um, nope. you know, and we got to move on. And so uh, I don't know, though. I, I don't, I, it'll be interesting. And I think that we'll, well see those issues, those, those moments in the real se- regular season. And I don't know how it's going to play out. So he's going to get it from both sides because Dan Tony is the same way as a coach. Yeah. You know, Dan Tony doesn't expect perfect play. You know, I I got a chance to talk to him at summer league, and we you know because I, I I obviously love Mike D'Antoni, and I have patterned a lot of the the ways I coach after D'Antoni, and so to hear him say some things privately that he that I just kind of did organically, just hey, you know what, it should be fun. We're okay. Uh, every now and then we're gonna throw the ball away. It's fine. We're trying to do good stuff. That's good. Um, you know, and I think that hopefully those two strong personalities will win over and Chris Paul will actually enjoy playing basketball again. I mean, not that I, not that I know that he hates it, but God, it just doesn't seem like he has a lot of fun. And I, I'd love to see, I like it when these guys look like they're having fun. Like I loved when, when LeBron, like, you know, grabbed the beer and pretended to take a drink. Like I love that stuff like that, that to me, it, it, it humanizes them, you know, because when we're out there playing basketball, like as normal human beings, we're and we're having fun with our buddies and we're we're talking smack and you know we're goofing around. I, I like to see that these guys who are the best in the world at it are kind of the same. You know, it's it's the one way we can all be on the same level. It's like, yeah, basketball's supposed to be fun. You're right, but it's also another way of coping with an 82 game season, which is what is really necessary. And, and you know, okay, the playoffs, I can get it. It's really intense. We got really we can't be screwing around too much at all, but. In the regular season is when you have a chance to play with some stuff and play funky lineups and like you know that damn defense the damn offense will score sometimes and you know what are you going to do and that's that's the thing that we talked about a little bit like I like about D'Antoni is that sometimes coaches get so obsessed with the fact that like you shouldn't ever allow the other team to score and when you do it's like the worst thing imaginable and that's that's the problem I think that's what Phil Jackson was really great at is I think mm-hmm. he was demanding of the defense but I think he certainly understood that they're going to score close to 100 points on you every single game no matter what you do yeah it's one of my pet peeves with pop and and I don't have many but I think that you know the the angry timeout 
that he calls. You know, and he does it once or twice a game. Usually it's early in the third quarter too. You know, it's like right after halftime. They he gives up they give up a layup, you know, one of the first two possessions, and then he calls the angry timeout. I just don't think that those are that constructive. Now I'm not gonna tell the best coach that's ever coached basketball that he's you know, that he's doing something wrong. Um, it's just not my style. Uh, I'm much more that Phil Jackson uh, I'll let them figure it out. I don't right. like to call timeouts. You know, I'm lucky that I don't have the TV timeout to deal with. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, D'Antoni in LA was the king of the angry timeout. I mean, he would call those things in the March sounds that you can see it, right? Before he's finished calling it, he's already halfway across the court scowling and whatever. I, well, I mean, by the way, part of it was probably frustration because I was going to say his offense wasn't being run correctly, and they'd get these corner threes with four guys along the baseline, and they would just be a layup on the other end before they could even turn their heads. And that's not how D'Antoni's offense is supposed to be balanced for shots. How would you feel if you had the greatest pick and roll point guard and sh- and shooter at that point in history, and possibly the best pick and roll big man in history who wouldn't set picks for that point guard you know like that has to be pretty frustrating um so oh I'll i'm give sorry him a pass. I, you know what i was picturing nash and like stoudemire you're talking about nash i'm talking about dwight howard and, and, and howard. dwight howard dwight howard would not set screens for steve nash he would set screens for kobe but that was it he would not operate in a screen and roll with Steve Nash. Because it was too fast for him or something? Like No, he was no, he just wouldn't do it. Didn't respect him. Wow. I, I had not heard that. Go back and watch. He just did not do it. He would not set pick and roll. He would not do pick and roll with Steve Nash. He wanted post ups. Remember, like you know, it's one of the, he's one of those guys that I don't think he knows what he's good at on a basketball court. He just he can go out there and do a lot of things, but he doesn't know what he's good at, which is why he Keep saying that you know he wants post ups and all this stuff, and he's trying to shoot threes during the off season and things like that. It's just yeah. he's literally one of the best pick and roll bigs in NBA history. Right, and, and you know what? And, yeah, and went away from it. And the cascading events from out of Orlando, Van Gundy doesn't keep his job where he was at his peak, Van Gundy, and 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 at peak Dwight Howard in that system as well, and it, neither of them ever covered since then. No. And, but now, now I will say this, that, that Van Gundy did fall up in the, in Detroit, right? Like, so he got, you know, he got a, what looked at the time to be a better job where he had a young player and Andre Drummond that, you know, a lot of people thought was kind of going to be the next Dwight and that hasn't really worked out. Um, and I think part of this, it falls at the feet of, uh, Van Gundy, the GM, which is kind of goes back to what we started talking about at the top of the podcast, you know, uh, Getting Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson's just not that good. And, you know, he's been hurt as well. So, you know, there's a little bit of that. But but he's also just not as good. Um, you know, Ish Smith has been the best pick-and-roll point guard they've had. Uh, this, this thing with KCP and, like, literally losing a valuable player for nothing. It just it didn't make any sense. Um, I, I get that they got Avery Bradley, and that's that's good. Like, it was, a, it was good for them, I guess. But you lost – a, a valuable, young, talented player for nothing. And so you just can't do that. Yeah, you, Like in, in this NBA, you cannot do that, especially if you're a middling team, which they are. You know, They weren't a playoff team this year. I don't think they've done anything to get themselves in the playoffs. I don't think Avery Bradley is you know, by himself good enough to do that. Um, and you know, th- I don't know that these guys have gotten any better. 
Right. Is Luke, well, is Luke Kennard getting him into the playoffs? The, well, the, by the way, the, the context of KCP choosing L.A. is – he, he leaves the East, which was an easier path in the playoffs, to go to the West. He goes to a worse team, although they are, you know, they're building something and they're on their way. Uh, but, you know, that definitely reflects poorly on Detroit um, as part of that, like, where should I go? Should I stay? What would be a better situation? And that's really kind of revealing as well, which also reminds me, by the way, really quickly, because we're talking about the coaches. It, I would have to imagine that the Doc Rivers decision has Jerry West's fingerprints all over it. Yeah, that, I mean, that's an interesting idea. I mean, Jerry West made the Golden State Warriors successful by being a dissenting voice. And I wonder if, if he's not in L.A. doing the same thing. I'll have to ask him at some point. Uh, yeah. Uh, who? Jerry? Yeah, I'll have to ask Jerry West. All right. Yeah, well, you know, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> uh, it, it, we'll have to find out just how much influence he did have in, in Golden State, too, because uh, I'm interested to hear that as well. But, uh, yeah, I think well, that— from, from everything I've read— the reason Clay wasn't traded was because of Steve Kerr and Jerry West. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean that's that's probably that's that's I'm sure that's true, and uh, we'll see now. But that said, like you know, the timing of it was he he, he comes in and within you know a few weeks of, of Jerry West joining the club, all of a sudden Doc Rivers is now not the GM. So you have to wonder if that, that someone else's voice started chattering in Balmer's here. Um, now Doc tried to spin it like he's like, oh well, we had Lawrence Frank in this position last year, and we were already talking and about true. it then. So that's possible. Um, but either way, um, you know, it's, it is, a, it, it, you know, I guess not to belabor that point. But, yeah, to be able to do both is just not uh, viable, which is kind of funny because we have a player who wants to be a player coach as well, and that's not viable either. Wait, are you talking about LeBron? <laughs> I am. Oh, no. <laughs> it just hit me. But, yeah, I mean, listen, he calls plays, and he's trying to, you know, he's trying to. He's been doing a pretty good job. I mean, that's three straight finals appearance and a championship. That's that's not bad. That's actually, to me, that's an argument in favor. Oh, really? I, you know, coach. I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm looking back. I look at it from the, since he started, like, with Miami. And um, there's just enough evidence to me that, like, when you watch how the offense runs, and it, you know, and we, I said this ad nauseum, so I don't want to belabor the point, but the idea that when you're charting what they're running, and it's so random, like no coach would ever control an offense like that, where they don't run the good stuff, they kind of get bogged down in, in really bad stuff, and then the role players get in these long slumps because there's no continuity or no rhythm. Uh, it has to be LeBron sort of like dictating what's going on on, on the half court, which I understand as a coach, you're like, you know, he's really the highest IQ player in the league, so you want to give him a lot of that leeway. But I think when you get into like the finals, at least, there's another level of adjustment that needs to be made, and that's why the coaches are staring, staring at, you know, uh, footage all day long. And, you know, as you're, you're, you've got to deal with playing, being a defender as a player, you got to deal with like your position in the offense. You, it really is a little bit overload to try and then be like, I'm going to be calling all the plays from that position as well, I, I think. Um, and again, it's I don't want to I don't want to shit on LeBron uh, necessarily. I just want to point out that I just don't think it's the very viable, uh, uh, you know, long term winning title winning solution. Yeah, I mean, well, obviously everything's not hunky dory because of you know, like we look at the Kyrie situation. Now, I think that a lot of that is because a guy that plays the way Kyrie plays is marginalized a bit when he's on the court with a guy like LeBron. You know, so, the, the production doesn't indicate that, right, as far as scoring. And, then, you know, assists is another thing that he's never, like, even in a different situation, I don't know if he'd get, like, seven or eight assists a game anyway. But um, the point well, being Well, I that, know that, and you know that. Yeah. But the player doesn't necessarily know that. Oh, so he might think you that. That's possible, too. Um, you know, but... He probably thinks he could have scored 35 points a game last year. Right. And that's probably true. 
But um, it, either way, but I think he's also bristling against you know all the other stuff too. Just how much carte blanche LeBron has, and and I and I get it. And that's you know there are I would say half the stars in the league would do that, and the other half would be like you know hey, it's cool, man. We're winning. We're gonna you know what I mean. I, I don't think he's alone in that feeling of of what he's feeling uh, on all those issues. So you know it's we're at the wait for that book to come out or or someone starts a leak or <laughs> something because. Uh, I'm dying to find out a little bit more about that. I mean, we I, I, we kind of got, you know, Kevin Durant gave us some more insight into why he left OKC, and that's been really revealing. Right. Uh, and it's going to be Kyrie's turn, to, you know, to come on a podcast and explain it. Until Jeff Sessions goes in there and shuts down all those leaks. Then, yeah, you know. right. Well, yeah, but then he'll he'll also arrest them all for, for smoking weed. Yeah. Oh. Hey, all right, we, we can't talk politics. I know right. there's not much basketball, but we can't talk politics. All right, well. All right, that kind of covered all the big news, though. Uh, anything else that's jumping out at you uh, these days on the, in the NBA front? Uh, no, not really. Right. I, I'm I'm excited for EuroBasket because I want to watch some basketball. When does that start? Uh, it starts like the last week of this month, and I mean, of course, it's like right over Labor Day weekend, and I'll be you know camping out in probably Zion National Park. Um, with no internet or television for a few days. So, you know, mm-hmm. yes, I'm excited for something I can't watch until I'm back in civilization. And Eurobasket's not EuroLeague. It is their, like, Final Four version, right? Isn't that it's what it's national teams. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. So it's all the national teams playing in a, in a little tournament. Mm-hmm. How long like does it last? Um, I think it's it's almost a month. I will pull the dates up. Okay, cool. Yeah. You know, so this is like one of their chances to kind of get all the national teams together in between the Olympics and sort of uh, stay fresh and stay, um, you know, uh, rhythm and rhythm. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Let's see. The August 31st to September 17th. So it's about three weeks. Right. And we'll get a chance to see Luka Doncic play uh, with Slovenia, which should be pretty interesting because apparently, you know, I, I did my video on him and there were a lot of people commenting saying, ah, oh, he really wasn't that good, this and that, whatever. But it turns out that like he didn't really play that well in the first half of the year, but in the last half of the year, he really kind of started to mature and really get it. And apparently now he's just, you know, ready to destroy people. So um, I think that that video is going to age nicely. Yeah. And he's been, he's been really, really good. Um, And Slovenia is actually in the same group as Greece and France. So he's going to play some tough opponents. Um, I guess the other night he had 20 points, four of six on, from, on threes, uh, eight rebounds, two assists, two steals, two blocks uh, in a win over the Czech Republic. And the Czech Republic, I mean, you know, they're not France, they're not Greece, they're not, you know, um, Italy. But uh, that's it's still it's it's high level competition. It's national team competition. So um, yeah, the guy can play. Like anybody who who watches basketball at all and looks at him knows he can play. It's just how well does he play, you know, when he gets to the NBA and like all this stuff, we're, we're all just kind of guessing even with, uh, Markel Fultz, like he was the number one pick and we still don't, we don't know. Right. We, I mean, we have an inkling. Sure. We have an idea. I I don't think, I don't think there's anyone that can watch Luka Doncic now and say, Oh, this guy's going to be a bust. Oh, I know. Yeah. And that's the other thing. The dude's 18, you know, and uh, and he's been playing, you know, I mean, at the worst, he's Ricky Rubio, but he can shoot it. So uh, it right. seems like there's a lot more upside there. And he's he's probably still growing. He could very well be a 6'9", 6'10", point guard. Um, yeah. And that would be a whole other level of interesting. Stuff, I, I, I think his size doesn't translate well on video. And I don't know why, but like, because I've watched and it sometimes you forget that he's like 6'8". 
Yeah. You know, right. I'm like, oh, he's big. Yeah, he's like 6'5". And then you see him next to a guy who, like, you know, who is 6'8". And you're like, oh, shit. He's pretty big. And 6'8 for a point guard? I mean, come on, man. Like, that's Magic Johnson territory. Right. I mean, the re- part of the reason Magic I mean, Magic was special on his own. But the thing that made Magic Magic was the fact that he was 6'9 and special. Yeah. And by the way, the thing that also really helped him, and people want to crap on his defense, but what you don't understand is that oftentimes, especially back then and even now, when you would run a pick and roll and like the, it was without the point guard, a lot of times the point guard is clearing to the weak side. And who is supposed to help out on that roll man? Well, normally, if you're guarding the point guard with another point guard, it does. It, you know, he's going to bump down. It's not going to have an effect. But the Lakers had an advantage because it was Magic who could rotate over as a big and really thwart any kind of pocket passing or any other kind of stuff there. That I don't think people realize that. And I think it's the same thing here with Doncic. He can be that guy who you know, he can contain the point guard, give him an extra two feet uh, of space to try and contain him. And then when he rises up to put a hand up, you know that's a significant deterrent for the shot. But right. then if he needs to rotate off or he needs to switch. Now he's not. There's no, um, you know, there's no sort of big little um, mismatch, and right. that's huge. Well, and he may not be a point guard in the NBA. He may he may play off ball. He shoots well enough that he could play the wing, and that from from a defensive assignment standpoint was probably going to be easier for him. Just just pure foot speed, but also his playmaking I think is then amplified, right? Like so if he's Let's say he goes to L.A. and he's playing next to Lonzo Ball as your point guard. And now mm-hmm. you've got this secondary playmaker who's on the wing in Luka Doncic. His job gets easier. His, he actually probably looks better right. as, a, as a two or a three. And so you don't have that size advantage that you would have at the one, but you have these other advantages. So I don't know. I mean, we still got another year to watch him in the ACB and watch his game grow. And, I mean, you know, with what he was doing this past year, I mean, they're running plays for him, end-of-game plays for this guy who's, you know, turned 18 during the season. So, uh, yeah, I think that he's going to be pretty good. Yeah, and he's on a team with some of the all-time greats uh, in Eurobasket. So uh, it's uh, that that's really impressive that he's gotten to that, that stature so quickly. So. Uh, yeah, looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, other than that, it's like uh, the three-on-three tournament's going on and uh, <laughs> TBT just finished. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put together – I did it one year, the first the first or the second year I did it, and hit a, hit, hit, hit a second-round matchup with a team that actually almost won the whole thing and lost in the finals. Shouldn't have played them in the second round. But nonetheless, uh, it was fun. It was interesting. And I kind of really feel like I want to put together a team next year because it's now – it might be for more than $2 million next year. We'll see. I definitely think that you and I should coach a team next year. Yeah, so we'll put together. We got to you know raise some funds and let's get some ringers. Do a GoFundMe. Yeah, you know what? Maybe we'll do something like that, or we'll see. You know what? The way you know this is going with uh, my shooting stuff and whatever, we might be generating enough revenue where we can fund it that way. But either way, um, you know, we don't need that much money to bring in some serious ringers and just run the table because it looks like a lot of fun. And I would love to be able to you know film the practices and just have a real you know uh, uh, documentation of that whole experience. Um, and I know we could easily. I know we, not easily. But I know we could do it. I know we could put together a team and really just. Uh, have some fun and, and destroy some teams. Well, you know, just to talk about that for a second, uh, the overseas elite, um, the team that is now undefeated, they've never lost in the TBT. The, the, the thing is that when you watch them play against like the Syracuse team or the uh, Ohio state team, the difference is they have a ball movement offense. They move the ball and they move without the ball and then that's it. And, and these other teams is a lot of isolation. They're trying to post up. They're trying to do all these other things. So, Overseas Elite is playing a more modern style of offense, 
Right. And that's why they're winning. I mean, now they've got good players. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they they definitely have yeah. talent, but well, but sort of. But I think I mean I think what you're the, the the add on what your point is is that it's a pickup game, and right. in any pickup game, the more good offense you run, the better shots you're going to generate, the better chance you have to win. Like that is without question. Because these are all like lights out. Like I couldn't get over when I was when I was coaching that and I was watching other games how lights out everybody was from all over the floor. Like unless you blocked that shot or almost blocked that shot, it was like the, the net didn't move. But uh, the point being that you need to be able to generate as many good shots as possible. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. Like, think about it. If you're playing pickup and the other team is, you know, they're running some pin downs and some pick and roll with short rolls and that kind of stuff, like, you're going to get killed pretty much because the defense won't be there. And so, I mean, I'm telling you, put together a team. We get like five or six practices over the course of like 10 days. Put in the Meba defense. Show them some man-to-man <laughs> principle stuff. Really make it – I'm telling you because you need to yeah. also have – you need to be able to mix it up because the other team's going to go on a run. And I, and I tried doing that, but I had a couple guys who like didn't show up for you know you know we had four practices that week before the first game. They didn't show up for two of the practices, so I never could get like a five that I really felt comfortable that knew the immediate defense, even though I put it in. And it's not hard when you have pros. So, but the point is that you need to have that to you know uh, change the tempo and change the uh, rhythm of the other team, even if it's for a possession or two. Um, and so I think it's really important to have that, maybe even like a two-two-one, you know, just a blanket little press that's uh, not aggressive. Anyway, so we can let's do that. Let's get that yeah. on our, our radar. We'll start working on that, like maybe in January, and uh, and make something happen. And we'll do a contest for the name, or we're we gonna call it Team B Ball Breakdown. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's what it was last time, <laughs> but we'll see. I, I'm not I'm not married to it necessarily, but you know, it seems like it fits. But uh, either way, we'll make it. We'll we'll figure it out and. Uh, I don't know. I think uh, I think that covers us for this uh, for the pod. What do you think? I think so. I hope so. Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. Uh, great stuff as always, and uh, we will be back at it. Uh, you know, next week at the very latest, if not before, something else happens and we have to have an emergency. But uh, Dave, thanks for coming on the show again, and uh, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown. We're not a channel. We're a conversation. You win. Are you in, Dave? Yes, I am. Forget about audible.com slash bballbreakdown for your free 30-day trial. If you listen to it, guess what? Audible has it.